Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our series, Awaken. If you're joining us for the first time, I wanna be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Hope Church, it's an honor to be with you. I have been a fan of yours from afar for a long time and uh, certainly been a fan and a friend of your longtime pastor, Vance Pittman. Um, gosh, we did, man. We met a long time ago back when we used to get invited to those young pastor conference things that we don't get invited to anymore. Um, but real, real super fast story uh, where, where Vance, um, I took our relationship to another level. I've only been stuck in an elevator one time in my entire life. Um, anybody afraid of getting stuck in an elevator? So was I. It was a summer several years ago. We were in Washington, D.C., which is incredibly humid. We were going to some meeting with some bigwig in Washington, and we were wearing suits and a tie, and we were going up in an elevator, and it stopped, and we were stuck for about an hour, and we, uh, we got real close real fast in, in the middle of that uh, when we were praying to the Lord and crying out to him in there. It's so good to be with you guys. We're <clears throat> talking about awakening. That's been the theme, and and today I want to talk about that theme for you as a church. If you were here you, uh, earlier, you heard um, Pastor Vance talk about that I've made a transition. as the founding pastor of the Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, pastored it for close to two decades. Amazing church, grew like crazy, saw amazing things happen in the city of Austin. But um, through a long story that I won't bore you with, God began to move in my heart, and I took a, a, a church in Houston, Texas that had one pastor for 52 years, 52-year-old church, one pastor there. And so I came after a pastor that had been the only pastor this church had ever had. It's called Sagemont Church. And I want to talk about this theme today. Um, I've decided to talk about this because you guys are going through a similar transition. You're your founding pastor is making a transition. And so in many ways as a church, you are at a crossroads similar to the one that, that I just took over. <clears throat> because when you look at churches, over the last 2,000 years of church history, after Jesus ascended into glory and the church began, there are countless stories, countless stories of God placing his hand of blessing on a church for one generation, there's countless stories of God placing his hand of blessing and power on a church for one generation and one pastor. Um, but there are precious few examples, precious few examples of churches that are powerfully used by God and experience his hand of blessing over multiple generations and multiple pastors. As a matter of fact, there's a statistic from LifeWay Research that uh, a lot of people reminded me of when I decided I was going to take the job at Sagemont. The guy that was before me 52 years named John Morgan, he's what's called a legacy pastor. Vance Pittman It's called the legacy pastor. They're the guys that found the church and then God um, 
blesses in remarkable ways like he has here at Hope Church. And so John Morgan founded that church, and God blessed Sage Mart like crazy, had remarkable success. Now, let me ask you guys a question. What do you think the percentages of pastors like me that come after founding pastors, what, what do you think the percentages of guys like me that come after founding pastors and actually survive and then see any measure of success similar to the founding legacy pastor, what percentage do you think it is? It's 2%. 2%. I don't know who shouted that out. Was that, that, I don't know who was. You're right. It's 2%. That's a, that was an actual study done of historical churches that saw God move by legacy pastor, and then the guy comes after him. Only 2% see that second guy, see any measure of success similar to the founding legacy pastor, and even a smaller percentage see, sees God do something to a greater degree than the founding pastor. And so when I took the job at Sagemont, you know, I'm leaving a church that I founded. I have job security. It's growing like crazy. We're a large church, lots of staff, real similar to Hope Church. God calls me out of the blue to this church following a legacy pastor, and all my buddies are calling me like, bro, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Have you heard the Lifeway research story? I'm like, I have. But I can't escape the fact that, that God called me. <sighs> But God moving in power in a second generation is rare. It's extremely rare. And I want that for the church I pastor, and I want it for you. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> it's so rare. Um, I don't know what it's like here in Las Vegas, but Houston is in the Bible Belt. And I met recently with, a, with kind of the director of missions in Houston, <clears throat> the Southern Baptist Convention or whatever, but <clears throat> he told me, he said, Matt, there are literally hundreds of churches in Houston, because Houston's in Texas, this is in the Bible Belt. He said there's literally hundreds of churches in Houston that have these big buildings that used to be filled to the brim with people. They were on fire. They were on mission for God, and now if you walk in the doors of, of that church, there's nobody there. There's just a few folks with gray hair that are there keeping that thing on live support happens all the time. And that's always been a tragedy for me. It's always been a tragedy for me because Jesus said that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So guys, we win. We win. We're on the winning team. And so why, why in the world are so few churches seeing God move over multiple generations and multiple pastors, and how in the world can we make sure that Hope Church is not one of the 2%? Well, at the end of the day, I want to talk for a second about why, why churches die. I want to talk about why so few churches find themselves in that 2%. I know Travis, I know his heart, I know his leadership, you guys are going to make it, but I want you to evaluate as an individual person, how you can be a part of ensuring that Hope Church is a part of that 2%. At the end of the day, 
I think biblically you can look at the primary reason why churches die, why so few churches find themselves in that 2%. And I think biblically I can make a strong argument this is the primary reason. That God removes his hand of blessing from a church. Now I know that sounds pretty harsh. You're like, what do you mean? God removes his hand. He does. I'm going to show you biblically. That God removes his hand of blessing from churches. Um, Let's start in the Old Testament. I'm, in, I'm gonna, don't turn there because we're gonna be in Revelation here in a second, but I wanna just read you a little thing from 2 Chronicles 26.5. <clears throat> it's a principle we saw or we see in the life of a king of Israel named Uzziah. He was the king of Judah, one of the most successful kings in Israel's history. Started at, six, at 16 years old, had a powerful reign, and I'm gonna read this to you. Um, talking about King Uzziah, it says he set himself to seek God. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. Now watch this. It says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And, and, and I think the key phrase there, it says he set himself to seek God. And as long as he was set on seeking after God, the God, God of Israel, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob poured out his blessing on Uzziah's life. But something happened. Over the course of time, something in Uzziah's heart changed. And so immediately after that in 26.5 for 10 verses, the scripture tells us all the ways that God prospered Uzziah and blessed Uzziah and had his hand on Uzziah's life. And then in verse 15, you see something happen. You see the change. In 2 Chronicles 26, 15, it says in Jerusalem, and it's telling all things he'd, that God blessed him with. He made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame, talking about Uzziah, his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Now there's a phrase in there I don't want you to miss. It says, Uzziah was marvelously helped. Who was helping Uzziah? God was. He set himself to seek God. And he was being marvelously helped by God until something happened. Until Uzziah grew strong. And when Uzziah grew strong and he realized how powerful he'd become and how su successful he'd become, when he grew strong, he, he didn't turn himself to the Lord and say, thank you, God, for the strength you've given my life. Thank you, God, for the success you've given my life. It says that when he grew strong, he grew proud. And when he grew proud, the Lord removed his hand from Uzziah's life. And we see that later on. A few verses later, it says that very thing. He grew proud, and when he grew proud, the Lord removed his hand. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> you may be like, well, Matt, that's an individual, and that's the Old Testament. But what I'm about to show you is that the Lord will do that very same thing in the life of a church. And he'll do it in the New Testament. And I'm convinced that's the reason so few churches 
make it past one generation of God pouring out his power. Because what we're going to see here is that as long as a church, as long as their heart is set on God, as, as long as the church's purpose is his mission and his name and his glory, God will pour out his blessing on a church. But if that changes, he will remove his hand of blessing from a church, and then it's a matter of time before it's over. So I want you to turn quickly in your Bibles, if you have one today, to the book of Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's right. I'm going to have the scriptures behind me here on the screen. If you're familiar with the first couple of chapters of Revelation, Jesus is speaking to, listen, don't miss this. He's speaking to the seven churches in the New Testament. There were seven churches. So what Jesus does is he speaks to each church, and he tells them all the things they're doing well, and then he tells them all the things that they are doing wrong, and then he tells them what they need to do in order to repent of what they're doing wrong, and he gives them a warning for what's going to happen to their church if they don't repent. So let's look at Revelation 2, verse 1. He's speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says to the angel, of the church in Ephesus. Now that word angel um, is Greek word messenger, so it's, it's possible he's speaking to the pastor, the messenger of the church, but he says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now Jesus is about to describe himself, and I want you to watch what he says. One who, uh, seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now that's significant. Jesus just described himself as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What does that mean? Well, the seven golden lampstands represented the seven churches. Now, don't miss this. What Jesus just said is that I'm the one who walks among the churches. He's saying I'm the one whose presence is moving among the church, my presence and my blessing is among the seven churches. <clears throat> and then Jesus begins, after he says that, by telling the church in Ephesus all the stuff they were doing well. Revelation 2.2, Jesus says, I know your works. You're going to hear that. I'm going to look at three churches quickly today. And all three, he says that, I know your works. And he says, your toil, your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. Jesus said, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And so, guys, let me tell you something. The church in Revelation was doing some great things. This church was, was actually doing really, really well. Jesus says, look, I see your works, and I see you that you are, I see that you're serving, serving me diligently, Jesus said. Jesus said, I see your toil. This was a church that was not having a problem finding volunteers in their children's ministry, right? I mean, these people were serving the Lord. This was a church that uh, had good theology, and they fought for good theology and good doctrine. This was a church that was on mission, for Jesus, they weren't wasting their lives. They weren't just showing up, coming to a worship service and going on with their lives. They were living on mission for him. Jesus said, I see the way that you toil and endure patiently for my name's sake. Now, let me just stop right there and say, Hope Church, that sounds like an awesome church to me. Can I get an amen on that one? Sounds like an awesome church. <clears throat> sounds like a church I'd want to pastor. 
and Jesus tells them that there had been something that had gone horribly wrong with their church, Revelation 2, 4. Jesus says, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned your first love. That's interesting. And so here's what the church at Ephesus had done. Something very easy for a church to fall prey to This was a church that was doing great things for Jesus, but it stopped coming out of an overflow of their love for Jesus. They were doing great things for Christ, but those things they were doing for Christ weren't coming out of an overflow of their love for Jesus. And what this verse tells us is it's entirely possible for you to be a person that is diligently serving Jesus while at the same time your love for Jesus can take a back seat. I don't want you to watch what Jesus says will happen to this church if they don't repent and come back to the place where Jesus and their love for him is the most important thing in their lives. Revelation 2.5. Jesus said, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, watch this. It's a haunting verse. Jesus said, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Did y'all catch what Jesus just said? Haunting verse. Jesus said, I'm the one that walks among the lampstands. I'm the one that walks among the churches. I'm the one that blesses your church with my presence. And Jesus said, if you don't get back to the place where you're doing what you're doing, which is great, out of an overflow of your love for me, he goes, I am going to remove your lampstand from its place, which means Jesus is saying, I'm gonna remove my hand of blessing and my presence from your church. And as a pastor, that verse scares me to death. Because what Jesus just told them is that if you love your mission more than you love your Savior, your Savior will have no part of your mission. And that, that scares me for churches. So I don't know about you, but I can't think of a bigger and more monumental waste of time than being a part of a church that Jesus ain't at. So the last thing I want to do is be a part of a church where the presence of Almighty God is not showing up. So I think the first reason churches die is because they go through the motions of ministry, but they fall out of love with Jesus. So let's turn to Revelation 3.1. Look at a second church. This is a church in Sardis. He's got a a different issue with them. His issue with them was not that they... Stop loving Jesus, but Hope Church, they, these people stop serving Jesus. Revelation 3.1. And to the angel, again, this is Jesus speaking, the angel of church in Sardis, right? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, he says, I know your works. Let me just stop right there. He says that to every church. I know your works. In other words, Jesus is saying that he pays attention to individual churches. He's watching. 
He's seeing the way that we serve and love and sacrifice for him. But then Jesus says, I know your works. And Jesus says something fascinating. He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation out there outside the four walls of the church for being this on-fire church, this alive church. But I'm looking at you. You're not. You're not. You're not near as alive as everyone thinks you are. And so what happened to this church in Sardis? I'm going to tell you what happened to the church in Sardis. This was a church that obviously started really well. They started well. But they didn't finish well. They started well on mission, in love, but somewhere along the way, something happened. Maybe they got arrogant. Like Uzziah, they, got, they looked at all their successes and then grew proud and God removed his hand. Maybe they, maybe they got tired. It happens. Been on mission for so long, they just stopped doing it. Maybe they grew old. Maybe, maybe they... Um, like King David, they just got really content. Y'all remember that story where he had an affair with Bathsheba? It says at a time when kings go out to battle, David was on the couch. He got lazy. He got complacent. Maybe they got so focused on what made them happy that they stopped caring about lost people. They stopped caring about the next generation. Jesus doesn't really say what it was. All we know is that somewhere along the way, this church fell asleep. They fell asleep. They took their hands off the plow. They were coming to church, but they weren't serving the church. They were, they were coming to worship Jesus, but they stopped sacrificing for Jesus. And they got off mission, and they became a Christian country club. I don't sense that's what's going on here, but I'm going to tell you that story right there is happening all over this country. So easy to happen. Become a Christian country club. And so Jesus gives them a clear call to repent. Revelation 3, 2. He says, wake up. There's your awakened theme. Wake up, church. Wake up. And then he says, and strengthen what remains and is about to die. I love that. Jesus is saying to the church, I hadn't given up on you yet. I need you to strengthen what, what I still have left for you to do. And he says that, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I love that. Jesus saying, I still have more things for you to do. I still want to keep using you. There's another part of this story if you'll just wake up. And so Jesus says, you used to serve me, you used to sacrifice for me, but for whatever reason, you stopped. And so he tells him, I need you to wake up. I need you to get off the couch. I need you to get back in the fight because I still have work for you to do. And then he tells them, gives them a warning, tells them what's, what he's going to do if they don't wake up, get back in the fight, get on mission. Revelation 3, 3, he says, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, believer, Christian, let me talk to you for a second. Let me stop right there and ask you guys a question. In light of that verse right there, 
How serious does Jesus take you finishing your life on mission for him? You kind of, not a big deal. Y'all kind of do what you want to. You've worked hard, you know. He says, if you don't wake up and, and strengthen what remains and get back in the fight, Jesus said, I'm not going to, he didn't say I'm going to remove my blessing. He said, I'm going to come against you. Now, I have no idea what that means, but that doesn't sound good to me. So the second reason churches die is for whatever reason, the people get complacent. They stop serving. They stop sacrificing. They become a country club, and Jesus seemed to have a big, fat problem with that. Last one. It's a church in Laodicea. Jesus doesn't come down on them because they lost their first love. He doesn't call them out because they're getting off mission. He calls them out for something that Jesus seemed to have a much bigger problem with. And I'll tell you what it is in just a second. Let me give you some context. Laodicea was a, was a, a city in the junction of two major highways in the ancient world. They were the banking center of that entire region. And so because of that, they grew incredibly prosperous. They were so wealthy, as a matter of fact, that there's a huge earthquake that came through and leveled the city. I think it was in uh, 60 AD. And the Roman Empire came along and said, hey, we'll send you financial aid and you can rebuild your city. And Laodicea said, no, man, we got this. And they built their entire city by themselves. And so... That's the context of what Jesus is talking about. And what's interesting, and everybody hear this, the strongest language of warning that Jesus gives any church, he gives to this church. And so let's pay careful attention to what they were doing because I, I think of all the things that the American church could fall into, it's Laodicea. And it's Laodicea that Jesus had the biggest problem with. Let's look at Revelation 3.15. Jesus says, I know your works. And then watch what he says to the church. He says, you are neither cold nor hot. You probably, if you grew up in church, you probably heard that verse a lot. He's not talking to individuals. He's talking to a church. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. And then Jesus, what he does, he's like, your works, as I'm watching them, as I'm looking at your church and the way you're doing business, the way you're serving me and the way you love me, he goes, it's, it, it's not cold, but it's not hot either. Jesus says, your church is just kind of lukewarm. Laodicea was a church whose worship wasn't lifeless, but it wasn't full of life either. This was a church whose love for Jesus hadn't grown cold, but they weren't on fire for Jesus either. This was a church whose service and sacrifice was it non-existent, but they weren't passionately living on mission for Jesus either. And so Jesus tells them, hey, I'm looking at your works, and your church is just kind of lukewarm, average, okay, kind of meh. In verse 17, Jesus tells them why their church grew lukewarm. Watch, <clears throat> 317, here's why they grew lukewarm. He said, for you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing. Now, I know y'all, and y'all are saying, I'm not rich. Did you know that if you live in the United States in the year 2022, you are in the top .0001% of the richest people that have ever lived in the history of the world? So you need to pay attention to this verse. 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. And so what did Jesus say caused the church's worship and service to become lukewarm? It was prosperity and success, and they got to the place where they thought in their minds, well, we don't really need Jesus. Now, what's interesting, guys, is that their prosperity and success didn't cause them to walk away from Jesus, but their prosperity and their success distracted them from fully following Jesus. There's a big difference make them walk away it just distracted them following all this other stuff that they just kind of got lukewarm guys I, I like to call Laodicea the Rocky 3 church how many of y'all seen Rocky in your life the movie Rocky all right they tell you in seminary not to ever do an illustration over 20 years and so I'm failing right there but if you've ever seen Rocky Rocky Balboa that dude was a he was a fighter from Philadelphia he was super poor and he dude was hungry and he wanted so bad to be the the world champion heavyweight boxer and so he worked and he clawed and he he, he just, he worked every day. He was hungry to win that thing. And finally, he beat this guy named Apollo Creed and won the world heavy, you know, heavyweight championship of the world. And all of a sudden, after he won it, he woke up one day and he wasn't poor anymore. He was rich. He's living a big house, even though he'd lived in the slums his whole life. He was driving a Ferrari. Everything that he ever thought he ever wanted, man, one day he woke up and he had it. And so one day he found out something that, you know, when you, when you get everything you've ever wanted, you, you, you don't work as hard as you used to. And so this, this dude came along named Clubber Lang and challenged Rocky to the championship. And Clubber was hungry. He, he'd never won anything. He didn't have any money. So he, was, he wanted it so bad. He was hungry and he fought and he clawed. Well, Rocky was too busy making commercials, making more money. So he didn't train that hard because he didn't really need to. He thought. Well, they fought, and Clubber Lang beat the dog out of him. Rocky got real depressed, couldn't figure out why he lost, and then former champion Apollo Creed came up to Rocky one day, and he said, man, I'm going to tell you why you lost. He said, you lost because you lost the eye of the tiger. He said, all this money, all this fame, all these fancy cars and houses, it made you lose the eye of the tiger. You got, you got complacent. You're not hungry anymore. And you stop working and striving for what got you here in the first place. That's what this church is doing. This church lost the eye of the tiger. And it reminds me, I'm, 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 we're going to land the plane here in a minute, but I, it reminds me of the story of the parable of the sower in Mark 4.18. This is Jesus speaking, and he's talking about, hear this, Jesus in this parable is talking about how people receive the word of God. And they're going to receive the word of God in different ways. In Mark 4.18, and others are the one that's so, sown among thorns. And they are the ones who hear the word. So these are people that hear the word of God. And they even receive the word of God. But watch what it says in 19. It says, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves un." fruitful. So listen really carefully to what Jesus just said. There's going to be people out there, and, and he's describing a group of people that when they hear the word of God, they receive it. They hear it. They receive it, but they've got a desire for other things, and their desire for other stuff and things and experiences. It comes in, 
and it chokes out the word and the word stops bearing fruit in their lives. These are people that are hearers of the word, but because they're so distracted with their lives that they don't become doers of the word. And it was this church and this people that lost the eye of the tiger and grew lukewarm, not hot, not cold, but lukewarm, <clears throat> that Jesus gives the harshest, most scathing rebuke of any of the seven churches. Revelation 3.16. Jesus said, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, guys, that's a famous verse that you might have heard before if you grew up in church, but I'm going to tell you something you may never have heard before. That word spit right there in the original language in the Greek New Testament, it doesn't really mean spit. It is the word for vomit. It's the word for vomit. And so I want you to hear this really, really carefully. What we've seen so far is that some churches make Jesus want to walk away. Some churches make Jesus want to remove his blessing, but some churches make Jesus want to throw up. Let that sink in. Lukewarm churches make Jesus sick to his stomach. Now why? That's pretty harsh language because Jesus is awesome and he's, and he's so loving. So why do lukewarm churches make Jesus sick to his stomach, and I'm gonna tell you why. Here's, here's why I'm convinced. Jesus said, I, I'm, if church is lukewarm, I'm gonna, it makes me wanna throw up. Here's why. <clears throat> because when a lost world, when a lost world looks at a lukewarm, okay, meh kind of church, it makes the world think that we serve a lukewarm, okay, meh kind of God. Lukewarm churches Paint a picture to the world of a lukewarm God. And Hope Church, let me fill you in on something. Our God is not lukewarm. He is an all-consuming fire, actually. And our God is not okay. He's the Lord most high. And our God is not meh. He's the alpha, and he's the omega. He's the beginning, and he's the end. He's the first, and he's the last. He's our rock. I'm, I'm gonna keep going, hold on. He's our rock and our redeemer. He's our strength and he's our shelter. He, he's our advocate and he's our mediator. He's the bread of life and he's the everlasting light. He's our hope, he's our healer, he's our helper, he's our hiding place. And I could keep going for a really long time, but I'm gonna tell you something. There are a lot of things that describe our God, but okay, lukewarm and meh are not one of them. And so when lukewarm churches offer lukewarm worship and lukewarm service and lukewarm sacrifice, not only does it say to the world that we serve a lukewarm, average, okay God, but I'm gonna tell you what else it says. When we offer lukewarm worship, lukewarm service, lukewarm sacrifice, we're not only saying that to the world, but what we're saying to God is, God, you're not worthy of my best. God, you're only worthy of my average. So I'm gonna start landing the plane today by asking you a question. If Jesus was speaking to Hope Church, what would he say? I don't know. So maybe a better way to approach this is, what would Jesus say to you? If this entire church were filled with 
people that were just like you, which of those three churches would best represent this church? I'll start with me. The one that I think best represents me at many times in my life is the church in Ephesus. I serve Jesus diligently. I live on mission just about every day of my life, but there have been times where I have found myself doing all this stuff for Jesus, and it hits me like a ton of bricks that I have not kept Jesus as my first love. I was doing all this stuff for him. I'm preaching all over the world, but that stuff wasn't coming out of an overflow for my walk with Christ. For some of you, if Hope Church were full of people just like you, the church would look like Sardis. It's a time in your life you're on fire for the Lord and you serve the Lord and you're willing to make any sacrifice for him, but you've fallen asleep. Taking your hands off the plow, stop serving, stop sacrificing, stop living on mission for him. And for some of you, church were full of people just like you, you'd be like Laodicea. Your heart hasn't grown cold for God, but you're not on fire for him either. You serve him, but it's like offering God a tip because you're pursuing a lot more things with a lot more passion out there in the world. You come to church and you worship him, but you don't live a lifestyle of worship. And all that's happening because there's all these other things out there in the world that you are pursuing with so much more passion. So if you're here today and you're a believer and your walk with Jesus looks like any one of those churches, I wanna end today by giving you what Jesus says next. Because he, he, says, he says, here's what repentance looks like for you. And then he says, here's what, you, what I'm going to do if you'll repent. In Revelation 3.19, Jesus says, here's why you need to repent from where you are. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. If you belong to him, I got some good news and some bad news. If you're not in the right spot, here's the good news. He loves you. My gosh, he loves you. He loves you like a father loves a son, like a good, perfect father loves a daughter. But here's the bad news. He loves you too much to let you stay in a lukewarm place. And he will reprove and discipline you until you get to the place he wants you to be. So really fast. Here's what repentance looks like. For, the, for those of us who like church in Ephesus, keep serving, keep sacrificing, but make sure it's coming out of a white-hot love for Jesus Christ. For those of you who look like Sardis, I think repentance means you wake up, you get off the couch. You get back in the fight. It means care more about lost people than you do your personal preferences. You put your hand back on the plow and you say, Jesus, with whatever time I have left, I want, I want you like the Apostle Paul to pour me out as a drink offering to the last drop. And for those of you that are a place where you look like Laodicea, repentance for you means repenting of your lukewarm worship and your lukewarm service and your lukewarm sacrifice and saying, Jesus, I want you to know today, I don't know what this is going to look like, but Jesus, you are worthy of my best. You're worthy of my best. And I want you to watch what Jesus says he will do if you will do that. In Revelation 
Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him, and I will eat with him, and he with me. That, that verse right there might be the most misinterpreted verse in the whole Bible. He's not just talking individuals here, and he's not just talking about salvation. He's talking about a church and blessing his church with his presence. He's saying, Hope Church, if you'll become a people that lives on mission and does it out of an overflow, out of a love for Jesus, and you get on fire for him and you pour out your life for the glory of God, not for Hope Church, but for the glory of God, Jesus says, I will come into this church and I will bless your socks off with my presence. And I'm gonna tell you something. There's nothing better in the whole world than the presence of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. Pastor Vance comes forward. I just want you to think about for a second. Maybe which one of those three churches describes you today. Hopefully it doesn't. But let the Lord speak to you. Father, I lift up this amazing church that you have been using powerfully in this city for two decades. I want to ask you, Lord, that you would do, when I ask something bold, God, I pray that you would do more in the next 20 years than you did in the first. But Lord, if that's going to happen, it's going to take individual people making the decision to do what it is that you want them to do. So give them the power today to do it. Give them the heart to do it. In Jesus' name. This morning we heard a timely word for us as a fellowship. God is not obligated to pour out his blessing, his favor, his provision, his grace. We've enjoyed for 20 years as Hope Church the favor, the blessing, the presence, the power of God and moving in incredible ways. And I really do believe that this is one of those unique places where as we look forward into the future, we're going to enjoy together God's blessing, God's favor, God's power, God's provision. But here's what I think we need to hear today. God's not obligated to do that. I couldn't get away from that phrase that Matt read at the beginning of his message about King Uzziah that said, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Let me ask you a question personally. Then I want to ask us a question corporately. Are you seeking the Lord? I'm not asking if you're a Christian. I'm asking if you go to church. Are you seeking the Lord? Would somebody look at your life and say, I don't know a lot about them, but here's what I do know. They seek the Lord. 
Is that what can be said about us as a church? Are we seeking the Lord today? Just a moment, our worship team is going to lead us in a song, but it's not just a time to sing. It's a time for us to respond to what we've heard from God. And I want to invite you, should the Lord prompt you, maybe God would call you to come to this altar and just get in this altar and just beg God to continue to pour out His provision, His grace, His mercy, His faithfulness, His power on this fellowship. Maybe you need to begin to seek God in your life personally. Maybe you look back in your life and see a time when you were closer to the Lord than you are right now. Well, I got news for you. He hadn't moved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why that word in Scripture is repent. Repent means to turn from where I am and to turn to Him. We're going to have pastors that are going to be here along the front. Maybe today you don't know Christ. You've never come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't have a personal relationship with God. You could come to one of these pastors today and simply say, I need Jesus. And if you forget that phrase, just stand there. They'll know why you're here. And they'll have somebody sit down with you and show you from the Bible how you can come to know Christ. Maybe you need to pray with one of these pastors about something we talked about earlier. There's some weariness in your life from something in a season of life, and you just need to pray with a pastor. These altars are going to be open. Our pastors are going to be here. We're going to respond to God today to what we've heard from His Word. Let me lead us in prayer, and then let's stand. Father, I pray right now in this moment, God, that as only you can, Lord, your word has been read. Your word has been proclaimed. And now we ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring application. God, would you bring conviction? Lord, would you speak to people in a way that transcends anything we can say or do? God, would you speak? Would you move right now in power? Holy Spirit of God, we invite you into this moment to manifest your presence. Jesus, we ask you today, would this be a place that you walk among us? God, that you move up and down these rows, in and out of these seats. And God, would you touch hearts and would you change lives for the glory and honor of Jesus? Lord, we worship you today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.